wonderful to be with you and worship with you today. And we're going to look at Jesus' pep talk. Jesus' pep talk. So is this a pep talk for Jesus? Is this a pep talk for his, that he's giving to his disciples? Is this a pep talk that Jesus has given to us? And the answer to all three is yes. All three. I like pep talks. I've coached for over 34 years, and what I love about pep talks is sometimes pep talks bring you to another level. Pep talks sometimes, as we know, we, we've had them all, all, all different situations in life. Sometimes we've had pep talks in which a boss has to say to maybe a, an employee, you got this, you can close the deal, you're going to nail this thing. Sometimes we see a pep talk like that. Sometimes we see a pep talk where maybe a, a son is getting married and dad says, let's sit down, you're going to be a great dad, you're going to be a great husband, don't be nervous today, you got this. Sometimes a pep talk might be for a, for a mother to her daughter who's ready to give birth. You'll be a great mom. You got this. I'm sure if any of you are watching the NCAA tournament, I'm sure there's a lot of pep talks going on right now. There's probably a pep talk for St. Peter's this morning about how maybe you guys can go to the Final Four. Pep talks. Pep talks are sometimes given in times in which there's uncertainty or fear. So Jesus is going to receive a pep talk. As we get closer and closer to Easter, we so often, I think, we lose the sense of Jesus' humanity. Jesus needs a pep talk. So we can advance the slide. Let's see what we have here. We have a message. That's right. The Apostle Peter is going to be giving a message. And he's going to be giving a message to these, to these relatively new Christians, and he's going to be telling a story which has a message, if that makes sense. So in, in his message, he tells a story in order to tell a message. So let's think about these pep talks. <coughs> Have you ever heard this pep talk? One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine, but not this game. USA won. 1980s Olympics. You got candy coming, sir. Church candy. That's right. Tic Tacs. And if I hear this... That's okay. It means that we got a healthy church. Please advance the slide. One more, please. Yeah, you nailed it. How about this pep talk? Now everybody's thinking, oh, I, can, I can get candy. Nobody, I mean nobody, comes into our house and pushes us around. It's what? Not the same one. Travis, come on. Advan what? Who said that? All right. Not only do you have... I'll give it to Travis. He, he, he tried. <laughs> Travis tried. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Who said that? Okay. Rob, you got a lot of boys there, so they're going to need Starburst. And if we see rappers on the floor, we know who to blame. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I've said this one before. 
It's not about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Rocky Six, I'm just going to have this like, you know, we'll just pass this around. Uh, I don't know. I'll just, yeah, who wants it? There we go, kiddo. Actually, you know what? Do you want, you want Spearman or do you want Tic Tac? There we go. You know, I love, I love hearing laughter in church because I think some of the most memorable times that I've ever had as a parent is when my kids have been on vacation and when we've, I hear my kids laughing and enjoying each other. I think that's the way God is when he hears us. When he hears us laughing, it's the way he created us, to take joy in him, to take joy in each other. Let's take a look here at 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 21. As we said a few moments ago, this is a message telling a story, telling a message. So what's the background? What's the background? Peter here is being questioned. Are you really, really one of those disciples? Is this guy for real? And you've got to figure that Peter probably feels a lot like Jesus did. How many times do I have to explain to you? How many times do I have to show you the prophecies? How many times do I have to show you miracles until you finally get it? I'm sure Peter feels a lot like Jesus. And when we think about the proofs of Jesus, here we are getting ready for Easter Sunday, and there's just one prophecy after another, after another, after another. Some of you have probably heard about the astrophysicist, mathematician, Peter Stoner, he came out with a book back in the 60s called Science Speaks. And in this book, he and his students worked at just looking at about the probability of 12 to 15 prophecies given at different times in history from different people in different locations and the probabilities coming out to 10 times the 17th power. Just those probabilities. What is 10 to the 17th power? Well, if we had silver dollars, that number is so huge, it would blanket the entire state of Indiana in two feet. But we don't have just a few prophecies of Jesus. What we have is almost, almost 333 in the Old Testament. And some can be even questioned that there might even be more than that. Peter somehow has to explain to people and prove to people that Jesus is the Christ. So how is he going to do it? He's going to do it through a story. He is, he's going to do it through this letter that he's going to share with them. And in this letter, he's going to encourage believers. He's going to confront accusers. And then he's going to say, you always, always have to be ready to be a witness. You always have to be ready to be a witness and to meet our Lord at any time. Please advance the slide. So let's look at Scripture. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Think about this. Some of you may have been a, be a, you might have had to be a witness in court. What Peter is doing right now is he's putting himself on, on trial. He's putting himself there in the witness stand, and he says, we were eyewitnesses of what Jesus did and what Jesus continues to do in our lives. And now his story. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. 
with him I am well pleased. Now, at face value, some of you might say, well, isn't that his baptism? This was said at Jesus' baptism, the beginning of his ministry, but it's also said towards the end of his baptism. I'm sorry, the end of his ministry. When Jesus is up there on the mountain of transfiguration, and when he's up there on the mountain of transfiguration, that's when he gets his pep talk. That's when Peter, James, and John, his beloved disciples, they go with him to the top of that mountain, and they all get that pep talk they need. Jesus needs the pep talk because we know what waits for him. He's going to come down from that mountain and he's going to say to his disciples, I must go up to Jerusalem. For the disciples that are with him, think about what awaits those disciples. What awaits those disciples is the horror of Golgotha, the terror of what they see at Calvary. And then the uncertainty of Eastern morning when there's a missing body. They're going to be going on a roller coaster ride. From this point out for the rest of their lives, they're going to be on a roller coaster ride and they need to have this pep talk in order to carry on the ministry that will happen for the next 20 to 30 years. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. If we look at the next slide, we think about Mount, <coughs> Mount Hermon. We're at this mountain of transfiguration. This mountain is 9,000 feet high. Now, some of you might have been to Seattle one or two times in your life, and that's a, about 110 miles away from Mount Rainier, which is about 14,000 feet. This is 9,000, but this mountain can be seen from long, long distances. It's up in the north, northeast part of, uh, of Israel, near the Golan Heights, and it's up here where Jesus has this wonderful, wonderful meeting. When he's up there, who does he see? He sees the church triumphant. The two great leaders of the church triumphant. There's Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. They're in their glorified state. And Matthew, in the book of Matthew, specifically Matthew 17, it says that Moses and Elijah sat down with Jesus and talked about this upcoming departure. Think about that. Jesus gets to see his glorified state of what it will be like in just a short time. But he's got to go through that crucifixion before he's like that. And for Peter, James, and John, this is new to them. What do they get to do? They're like, wow, that's Moses. That's Elijah. And for Peter, who's known for sticking his foot in his mouth, Peter says, maybe we should just, you know, build some shelters up here. Maybe we should just kind of hang out here for a while. This is great. This is great. No, no. I've got to fulfill my mission. But Peter, James, and John, that church militant, that church that is still on earth here today, Hope Church, you are the church militant. You're fighting sin. You're fighting Satan. You're fighting this power in our lives that sometimes we just seem overwhelmed with. We are that church militant. But one day, we'll be that church triumphant. And that church triumphant is no better or less than the church militant. Because you, Hope Church, you were singled out from eternity to eternity. And who's the person bridging this gap? It's our Lord. Next slide, please. Jesus is the unifier of these two dispensations. Dispensation is a fancy term for eras. The era of those who have gone into heaven and the era of those who are right here continuing to do the sanctifying work 
to bring about new life in so many different people through the work of the Holy Spirit. As we said at the beginning of our message today, Jesus needs this pep talk. He needs Moses and Elijah to talk to him, but so those apostles. And this, of all things, was a private affair. Wait a minute. Isn't Peter, in writing this letter, isn't he trying to convince people that Jesus is for real? And so in convincing that Jesus is for real, don't you think it would be better if he kind of took the story of like healing of the paralytic where their room was full and there were so many people there to bear witness to that? Wouldn't that be a better story? Or how about the feeding of the 5,000? Wouldn't that be a better story? There's plenty of those people still around. Hey, if you don't believe that Jesus did a miracle, go ask them. But no. What happens here is Peter chooses a story that was secluded just for Peter, James, and John, a private affair. And that's not by accident. God doesn't do accidents. This is a private affair because Peter says, if you want to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you got to take it on faith. Not by a bunch of miracles that you saw. You've got to take it by faith. It's no accident that this is what is chosen. Let's continue reading scripture. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you'll do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawn and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Peter says, I didn't make this stuff up. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What I'm writing you today, says Peter, is not my own concoction. What I'm writing you today has been carried by the Holy Spirit. Think about that whole idea of what he's going after. Prophecy. No prophecy of Scripture by some prophet's own interpretation. Next slide, please. So what does the word prophecy mean? There's two types of prophecies. The type of prophecy that we normally see in the Old Testament is telling of the future. But prophecy in our time, in the disciples' time, was something known as not foretelling, it was known as forthtelling. And what is forthtelling? It's what we're all supposed to do. Because in this new dispensation of which we live today as the church militant, we are, because of the work of Jesus, we are prophets, we are priests, and we're kings. And because we are prophets, we have to foretell. We have to talk about the ratifying work of God in our life. Think about the concept that we just read here in Scripture about being carried. If a mother has a child and the mother spins around, that child spins around. If a mother jumps up, that child jumps up. If you're in a boat and the boat is being carried by the wind, you have no control. It's being pushed in that direction. And when we see the Apostle Peter speaking here, he says everything I'm writing down about the truth of Jesus Christ is carried by the Holy Spirit. Every single word is the way the Holy Spirit wants it written. And what does that mean for us? So many times my students, if you please uh, advance the slide, they say, so where are you going with this, White? What does this mean? Can you, can you bring this back and kind of tie the ends together? Peter, 
As we said a few moments ago, he's an eyewitness. Think about him being in a court. He's on the witness stand. But being a witness is also forthtelling. Being a witness is, is doing what it says in Isaiah 43. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, who I, my servant whom I have chosen. Acts 1, verse 8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. When you're a witness, no lawyer is going to put a witness on the witness stand who has some kind of special, special interest to gain in it. Nope. What makes a good witness is somebody who has nothing to gain out of this. So if you're going to be Christ's witness, think about what that means. You get abuse. You get suffering. Ostracization sometimes. That's what awaits for you as a witness. And that's okay. Because people will put their lives on the line for a conviction, not a concoction. Think about that. People will put their lives on the line for a conviction, not a concoction. In the beginning of what we read here today, Peter says, we didn't make up these little invented stories. We didn't follow these little clever stories. We didn't concoct this. This is not a concoction. This is a conviction. So let's talk about what it means for us. Please advance the slide. Congratulations. You've been subpoenaed. For any of you who've gotten that knock on the door, and you open it up, and there's that, there's that bearer of the court who has that little badge here, and he goes, you have just been served. Wow, must have, there must be a lot of people who've gone to court in here. You've just been served. Yep, you've been subpoenaed. Not only was Peter a witness, you're a witness. And you've been subpoenaed to be a witness. And you know what a lawyer will tell a, a witness? Don't worry about it. Just speak the truth. Just tell the truth. So for us, as Christ's witness, give testimony to what you know. You don't have to somehow sway the jury. That's not your job. Let the great advocate, let the Holy Spirit sway the jury. You know, there are so many times where I sometimes talk with students, and they, so, they feel so, so lacking Mr. White, I don't know how to be a witness. I don't really know what to say. And, I, and I, there's just so many questions. There's so many mysteries in the Bible that I don't have figured out. You know, I, yesterday I kind of looked in some of my, on my bookshelf, and I see here, Letters to a Young Calvinist. Oh, a great book. It's a little book of big questions. Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties. And I tell you, I've been studying scripture, as many of you have, for a long time, and I keep coming across stuff like, I don't know that. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to explain that mystery. And our Lord doesn't expect us to. Our Lord expects us just to speak the truth as a witness, to let the, to let the great advocate sway the jury. Because you know what? It's not about you. It's about him. So often we think that we have to be the ones to somehow persuade somebody. And we just dismiss the power of the Holy Spirit. No. Our purpose is to speak the truth and be an honorable witness. The best way that you can, that you can persuade a jury 
is to be an honorable witness, and people will take to what you say as the truth. And when you are a witness, be prepared for a hostile cross-examination. We've all seen movies, we've all seen TV shows where here now comes that lawyer and he's just going to tear this witness apart. We're going to get torn apart. The devil's coming after us. He's going to be very, very hostile to we witnesses. He's going to go after us. John Calvin suffered horrible migraines. William Tyndale had night terrors. Martin Luther suffered so much from depression. The devil came after him. The devil's going to come after you. And you know what? Think of it as an honor. Some of you, you might know some history about gangsters that roamed Chicago back in the Prohibition days, most famous being Al Capone. You spoke out against Al Capone. You, you spoke out against him. His men are coming after you. You go on that witness stand and speak out against any of his operations, they're coming after you. So be, be ready for that cross-examination. But in the end, in the end, you'll win the case. In the end, you are the conduit. That's right, you're the conduit. If you think about, for those of you who are, ever do electrical work, you're not the wires, okay? You're just being used to hold those wires in place. The conduit, that message of salvation, that's the Holy Spirit. But think of it as an honor how you are the bridge to so many people in a lost world. And here we are, just a few weeks away from Easter. Such an opportunity to be a witness, such an opportunity to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because we're the witnesses. That leads me to a final pep talk. What are you prepared to do? All right, we're in the locker room. What are you prepared to do? How many times did Jesus say that to the crowd and the multitudes? So much of his message was, now what are you prepared to do? Are you prepared now to put away all those, all those husbands that you had at one time? Are you prepared to put away your sinful, excessive tax collecting? Are you, what are you prepared to do? We've got to believe that we were on Jesus' mind up there in the mountain of transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, think about coming down that mountain with Jesus and Jesus saying to his disciples so many times, what are you prepared to do? Next slide. Here's Sean Connery, Jim Malone. He's talking to Elliot Ness. They're ready to take on Capone. And what does he say? He says, what are you prepared to do? He tells Elliot Ness, if Capone comes at you with a knife, you bring a gun. He puts one of your guys in the hospital, you put one of his in the morgue. That's the Chicago way. What does our Lord say to us? When the devil's nasty daggers come at you, you fight back with the sword of the Spirit. When he hurts you, remember that on the cross, our Lord crushed his head. 
And on Easter morning, he bound him. And one day, our Lord will put the devil in his hellish morgue forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, our Lord, in all the earth, we are your witnesses. And it's tough being a witness. It's tough being cross-examined. But Lord, just allow us to speak the truth because we've been subpoenaed. You've called us over and over to give testimony of your work in our lives so that we might bring others to you. Allow us to be good witnesses. In your name we pray.